Welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Good morning, friends. Welcome to Awaken. Uh, my name is Micah. I'm one of the pastors here this morning. Um, today we're starting a new series, and uh, <clears throat> we'll get into that in a little bit. But for this morning's call to worship, I would love if you would uh, entertain me for just a moment. Uh, if you would, close your eyes and take a deep breath. And imagine your favorite body of water. Maybe it's an ocean, maybe it's a lake, or a river, or a stream. But imagine that place and put yourself there. And let me read this prayer for us this morning as we begin. All who thirst, come to the water. Come all you who are weary. Come all you who yearn for forgiveness. The Holy Spirit through Christ has washed over us. You are the fountain of life. So refresh us. You are the cleansing spring. Heal us. You are the well from which we drink and never thirst again. So fill us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand, join our voices together in song? If you have your Bibles and want to follow along today, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 2, so you can find your way there. Easy one this morning, first book of the Bible, not even a sword drill. Um, Welcome to you all. Again, my name is Micah. Glad you're here. A couple of things before we get going. If you're new, welcome to you. We would love to know that you are with us, so in the seat pockets in front of you or the pews there. There's a card you can fill out. You can also do that online. Let us know that you are here. Somebody from our team will reach out and invite you to a beverage of your choice. Um, If you have tithes or offerings this morning that you've brought, or there's multiple ways to give up there, you can see those. Um, The cards and tithes and offerings can go in the black boxes. Um, We are grateful for each of those gifts. We want to be faithful stewarding them. So uh, a couple things that are happening in the life of the community we want to let you know about. Partnership classes are coming up. So if you are interested in uh, becoming a partner at Awaken, which is typically what churches call members. Uh, That's a two-class scenario, the 6th and the 13th. I lead that, and then um, there's lunch provided, so if you could sign up for it so we know that you're coming, that would be great Um, next week and the week after. Uh, There's a lot happening in the artist community, so stick with me here. A couple things we want to highlight, first of which is an artist mingle that's coming on November the 3rd at 7 p.m., so Mel leads those just Groups of, uh, a group of folks who gather, creative folks, um, and I don't really know what they're doing uh, at that artist mingle. I've never been to one, so, um, but I hear great things, so if that's you, feel free to go to that. Um, and then Advent is coming up, you guys. Can you believe that? I was just driving in this morning. I was like, all the leaves are like off the trees, and man, oh man, it happens every year, but it seems to shock us and surprise us. So Advent's coming, the 27th of November, it begins. And there are two things Mel wants to let you know about. The first of which is uh, we are doing uh, our winter market again. So uh, each Sunday during Advent in the gallery back there, there will be spaces for a number of, uh, I think, four each week. Uh, Artists and creative folks who 
make and create things. And so if you're interested in purchasing things for friends, um, we, we make no, no bones about or, or, or no shame in, like, they will sell their things and it will help them put food on the table and do what they do and we want to support that. Um, so those, once those uh, folks sign up for that, we'll publish who will be there and what they'll be selling so you can kind of get a sense of, like, what folks will have each week. And those signups will go through November the 13th. So if you're interested in that, limited spots available, but want to make you aware of it. And then the other thing is we're doing a Christmas choir again. I don't know if any of you remember a couple years ago when we did the choir at Christmas. It was the first one you ever did. It was amazing. It's beautiful. So we're going to do it again. Um, we, I say we, that's the proverbial we. Mel will be leading that, and that will be for Christmas Eve. So if you're interested in being in the choir, um, you can sign up for that. And... Um, I don't know what the qualifications are for it, but if you've ever sang in a choir before, you'd probably be fine in our choir. So um, you can talk to Mel if you have any questions, all right? Uh, and that'll be sweet for, for Christmas Eve. And then last but not least, a um, long time ago, I studied with a rabbi named Alan, and it was a, a format that really shaped and formed me as a, as a pastor and teacher, and that sort of bled into our life as a community, and it informed kind of how we study Scripture as well. So for a long time, we've done um, Scripture circles on Sunday nights where people come, and it's kind of a like uh, the best, me- best way I could describe it would be like a Socratic method. So it's question-based. It's a lot of wondering and questioning, and like what's in the room usually dictates what passage we study. So all of that, um, we've been doing the Scripture circles, and you know, with COVID and everything, it sort of slowly dwindled and dwindled, and we thought... This is good, and we want to bring it back. We want to figure out a way to create some demand for our supply. There you go. So here's what we're going to do. This year, we're, Scripture Circles on Sunday nights are not happening. We're going to do four events. Uh, it'll, be from one, it'll be on Saturday afternoons from 1 o'clock to 8 o'clock, and it'll be like a full afternoon study and then a hosted dinner uh, and there's only 20 spots available. It's $20 per person, and there is a family in our church who owns a beautiful, beautiful uh, home that they are stewarding. They are the stewards of up on Capitol Hill, and uh, that's where they're going to be. So um, I'm just going to say you're not going to want to miss these. Um, there's, I think there's, only, there's 14 spots left in this one, so people have already gotten the word and signed up for it. Um, and we'll let you know when the dates are coming up, but it's basically every two months, November, January, March, and like May. So keep your eyes open for that and sign up if you're interested. It will be a lot of fun. And, and the folks at 40 Orchards, if you're familiar with them, are leading that. Um, so that will be beautiful. Sound good? Okay. If you don't know, there is a weekly email that goes out. It's called the Awaken Weekly. Everything we talk about on Sunday mornings is in there. Um, and... Um, all the signups are usually in there, so if you don't subscribe, please do. Um, L, if you would, uh, we're going to jump in this morning, Genesis chapter 2, so if you have your Bibles, that's where we are. If you can stand for the reading of the scripture, that would be great. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put a man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden 
were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there, it was separated into four headwaters. The first name is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold, the gold of the land that is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It rides through the entire land of Cush. The next name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. This morning as we gather as uh, your church, we, we come with varying degrees of faith and curiosity. Um, and so I pray that uh, in your economy, the way in which you move and work, that everything would belong so however we made our way here this morning, God, that we would sense your presence and, um, yeah, that you would reveal yourself to us. Um, it's always been my prayer that, that this church would be a place where people see you, Jesus, for who you really are. Uh, and I know that we get in the way of that all the time, uh, and yet that's what we're striving for. So um, that's our hope, that's our heart this morning, that you would, you would reveal yourself and we would see you for who you truly are. So whatever is inconsistent in our mind's eye, whatever images or memories we have that are, are just not true about you, God, I pray that those would fall away today and we would be reminded of the goodness and the beauty and the wonder and the hope and the life and the healing that you are and that you want to bring to us in our world. We pray in Christ's name and by the power of the Spirit and church said together, amen, amen. You may be seated. So today we begin a new series. We just finished our series on values called The Heart of Awaken, and today we start a new one, and it's called The Echoes of Eden. Um, we're going to trace through Scripture between now and Advent um, a few different places where we find this, um, this theme of water, either wells or rivers or springs that well up and almost burst out of the text um, as, we, as we find them in Scripture, we'll notice that they're always kind of uh, echoing back to or reminding us, uh, sort of um, sending us back to the, be the very beginning of the story where we find Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. I, I wanted to call this Explosions of Eden, but that was overruled in our marketing meeting. Um, so, uh, but it really is. It's these little kind of flickers all through the text. And you could, this is one of the reasons why I love the Bible. Um, we, could, we could spend like weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks on uh, places in Scripture where we see this thing happening, where the writers or the storytellers are using language that are, is echoing back to the language in the story that we just heard in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Um, it's, uh, there's something about water. Uh, and I don't know about you, but for me, um, I was actually just with Alan, Rabbi Alan, this last week. He was in town, and uh, we, we had lunch. He's moving back to Minnesota. For those of you that have studied with Alan, I just learned of this, which is kind of wild, so long story. But I'm at lunch, and Alan says to me, Micah, uh, what are you doing to feed your soul? Like, what are you doing to nourish your soul? You know, he's got these piercing eyes, and he just, like, doesn't look away. He's like, gosh, stop looking at me like that, you know? But what are you doing to feed your soul? And, I, and as I stopped and I thought about that, one of the things that came to my mind was water. Um, 
for whatever reason for me in my life, as I look back, the moments where I feel the most alive, the moments when I felt the most connected to who I am and who God is and the world that I live in are often by water, whether it's a river or a stream or the ocean. Um, people will talk about the ocean like this sort of call on their, on their soul and it just always beckons them back. Um, I, I, was, uh, I was in Chicago uh, a while back for reasons many of you know. I was visiting some friends of ours at the Board of Ordered Ministry. And uh, while I was there, Laura and I went to, um, I think it's called Andersonville or one of these neighborhoods, and there's the Swedish Museum in Andersonville. So, you know, I thought, hey, I'm Swedish and Scottish. Let's go to the Swedish Museum. So we go to this place, and I'm wandering around this, like, um, upstairs uh, display, uh, sort of historical display of Swedes in Chicago, Scandinavian folks in Chicago. Well, Swedes, it's the Swedish Institute. And so as I'm walking through this, I'm reading about these people, and I'm learning about these Swedish immigrants, and what struck me was, uh, of so of all the carpenters in Chicago, the Swedes had the largest number of, like, the immigrant population that was the largest among carpenters in Chicago was Swedish people. And the, number, uh, the largest number of immigrant population among, like, in the, the fishing industry or, uh, was Swedish people. And I'm standing there, and I, I had this, this moment of realization where, I, you know, tears start coming down my eyes. And I'm like, wood and water. Like, these are, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is like, this is me. These are my people. Uh, and if, you've, if you come from a family or uh, uh, an ethnic group that, like, lives by the sea or is near water... There's something that marks those people, and water is a, uh, it has that way about it. And in scripture, I would argue that the same is true, that we keep coming back to the, this moment of Eden and what's happening in there. So this morning, here's what I want to do. I want to look, I want to start in Genesis 1 and 2 and, and explore uh, this relationship that God has with water. And then we'll briefly go to Psalm 24 and look at how the ancient Hebrews kind of viewed the world and viewed God as it relates to, and it'll, it'll play in. And then we'll come back to the end of the passage that we read this morning and these four rivers. It seems a little bizarre where in Genesis 2, you get these four rivers. It's kind of like this little blip, an excursus, and it's like, thanks for that. Like, what's that about? Uh, I would argue that it's pretty significant, and that's where we'll end this morning. So let's start in Genesis 1 and 2. And... Uh, develop this theme of God and water. So Genesis 1 and 2, if you were here this summer, we studied uh, Genesis 1 and 2, and they're two different creation narratives. They seem to be at, at odds with each other at times, but not consistent or not overlapping, like there's some differences going on, and we study that in Lost in Translation. But Genesis 1 begins with Yahweh, Tahom, and Mayim. These are two Hebrew words, Tahom and Mayim, and we'll, we'll unpack that here in a moment. But it begins with this phrase in Genesis 1, uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and the Spirit of God hovered over the water, right? What's happening here is this phrase, tohu vabohu, and it means like formless, wasteland, chaos, emptiness, void. Uh, and, and so that's where it begins. In the, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it was formless and void. It was kind of a wasteland. It was chaotic. And over the water is the word tahom, over the face of the deep. Uh, and this word in Hebrew means like the abyss. It's like the primeval waters, if you know, like Greek mythology or ancient, ancient literature. This kind of dark and brooding place that is destructive and like is not life-giving. In fact, the opposite is true. 
So in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth, but, but what was there at the start was formless and void, chaos and emptiness, and water. But not just any water, the abyss, the tahom, the depths, the deep, the grave, destructive water that does, where life does not flourish. This is the tahom. And then the next thing that happens is, it says that the spirit of Elohim, the spirit of God, hovers, like flutters, broods, or um, is present, moving over the water. And in that moment... The word changes. There's two Hebrew words that you can use for water, tahom and ma'im. At first, it's tahom. It's the deep. It's the abyss. It's, the, it's destructive. It's the grave. And then as the Spirit of God hovers over it, the tahom becomes the ma'im. And for the rest of the story in Genesis 1, God begins to, um, well, transform the tahom to the ma'im, and then that water becomes water that gives life. It's the water that God separates. God places it here and not there. God brings the land up out of the water, and there's waters above and there's waters below. And it's if God is sort of uh, over and controlling and transforming what was destructive in wasteland and death into that which is life-giving and at bay or uh, controlled and managed by the divine, by God. So in Genesis 1, there's... Too much water, right? We begin with water that's destructive, and Yahweh tames it and transforms it, and it becomes water that gives life, supports life. Genesis 2 is a different story, if you're, if you're paying attention. It's complete, the complete opposite. Genesis 2 opens with a desert, right? Uh, the, thus the heavens and the earth were completed, right? The seventh day. Verse 4, this is the account. No shrub had yet appeared on the earth. No plant had yet sprung up, for God had not sent rain on the earth. So Genesis 2 opens with a desert. No plants, no animals, no life, no water. And then in verse 6, water comes up from the ground, from the surface of the earth, and the water creates the mud. The mud creates, God creates the human from the mud. And then God makes and plants and establishes a garden in Eden. Did you guys, did you ever know that, by the way? It's not the Garden of Eden. There's Eden, and then God makes a garden in Eden. And Eden is the word delight. So in this place called Delight, God plants, establishes, makes a garden from the water that comes up from the ground. And there are trees, and there are food, and everything is pleasing to the sight. And there is a river that flows from Eden. And that river becomes four rivers. We'll come back to that. But for now, here's the image, right? In the first two chapters of the Bible, very important, words matter in Hebrew when they're used first and then it sort of speaks to how they will be used later. The story begins with chaos and waste and water. Water that destroys. Water that is the abyss. That's the grave. And the Spirit of God is hovering over that. The tahom becomes the ma'im. God tames it, turns tohu vavohu into life. Uh, subdues the water, gives it boundaries, fills it with life, draws land from it, separates from the waters above and the waters below. And then chapter 2. Water's controlled, and the rivers spring up from the earth below to create human life, to create a garden, to nourish the plants and the trees and the animals and feed everything. So water is playing a very crucial role in the beginning of the story. Now, if you have your Bibles, flip to Psalm chapter 24. This is what the psalmist says about God, and it's a, a window into how, does, how do the ancient people see and view God and the world that we live in. It says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. For he, God, founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. 
right? The picture is that God, in the ancient's mind, in the Hebrew's mind, God makes the land, makes the earth, and founds it upon the sea, right? Controls it, subdues it, manages it. Uh, And there's even, like, ancient mythologies where there are four pillars that are holding up what God has made and called the earth, right? The place that we live. So this is... This is the, the, the ancient uh, conception where God is sovereign and in control. God is over the waters, having tamed them. And when they come forth, they do so by God's command. God allows them, and they become life-giving and healing waters, waters that cause flourishing. So, the God who controls the water transforms them into, into life-giving waters and causes them to flourish, creates humans, and puts them in a garden. And then, that, in that garden, there is a river. And that river becomes four rivers. The Pishon, the Gihon, in, in Hebrew, they're actually named, they're not the Tigris and the Euphrates, but the Hidikal and the Pirat. So what are these four rivers? Why are they there? There are two schools of thought as to like what these things are. Some people think like this is a map, right? All the treasure hunters love this. They're like, We can find Eden. We've got ourselves a map. If we can just find these rivers, we can trace them back, and we know where the Garden of Eden is. And people actually do this. Like, there's books about this and studies. And I don't think that's worth anybody's time, quite frankly, because I don't think that this is a map. That's one school of thought. These are maps, and they they, tell us where Eden is. I would would rather uh, offer the possibility that these are, uh, like, laced with theological meaning. Places in Scripture often have deep theological meaning. So if you've ever studied with, uh, um, well, Rabbi Allen or, or me when we've talked about Egypt, Egypt means uh, the narrow place. And if you look at Egypt on the map, it's like a very narrow place, a place where it's difficult and hard. Uh, and it becomes that for the, for the, the Hebrew people, right? So... Names and places have deep theological meaning, and I would argue that that is what's happening here. Not a map, but rather, they have narrative significance. So what's the author trying to tell us? What's been said about these four rivers? So here are uh, the four of them. The Pishon is believed uh, to be generally like the Nile region in Egypt. There's a, there's a little phrase there called Havilah, and if you trace that back in Scripture, Hagar finds herself there on her way to Havilah in Egypt, it says. Uh, the Gihon is uh, either in the land of Ethiopia, so like east of Egypt, or, depending, uh, it's also the name of the spring under the city of Jerusalem. So there's a number of springs in Jerusalem. One of them is called the Gihon, and it's right underneath the city, on the Temple Mount. Right. So if it has theological significance, you might see where that could go. The Hidikal is the Euphrates River in Assyria, and the Parat is the Tigris River in Babylon. Those are both to the north, northwest and northeast of Israel. So, I think you could say two things. If these have theological significance and theological meaning, you could say at least two things about these four rivers. The first of which is this, that the life-giving and healing water of Eden would flow out to the four corners of the earth. When you think about the beginning of the story and this, this part of Genesis and what's happening here, right? God is over the water. God subdues the water. And the water becomes this life-giving and healing thing. And it is Eden. It's the place that humans are invited to live and to be in fellowship with God. And 
to be in paradise, right? It's, it's, it's utopia. It's the perfect, it's what God intends. And these four rivers, or this, this river which flows out of Eden, then flows to the four corners of the earth. It's the intention, I think, of the, the writer in Genesis uh, to let us know that the God who tamed the Tahom, who made it into Maim, this life-giving water, intends that that water would go out to the ends of the earth, that everyone and everything would know its healing and life-giving nature. From the very beginning of the story, this is the aim. So here are a couple of examples in Scripture that I think confirm this or hold this up. Um, in the Noah story, so chapter 6, uh, you know, the flood, um, the waters, which up to this point have been transformed from Tahom to Maim, they're Maim, 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 and then when you get to Noah, it changes back. So the, the waters that destroy the earth, the waters that come from the heavens and come up from the, the earth and destroy things are Tahom again, and it's God who closes up the Tahom and closes up the Tahom from below in order to recreate the world that God intends Noah to populate. And if you remember, it even says, like, Noah and your family, be fruitful and multiply in this new world that you've been given. Right? This is all Eden kinds of language, echoing back to the beginning of the story. Uh, Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. I would invite us to consider the call of Abraham in Genesis 12 to be a blessing to the world so that when, when people and nations bless Abraham, they will be blessed as a, 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 a continuation of this story. When the, the healing waters of Eden come and people recognize it as such, they too are blessed. Think about the story of Joseph. At the end of Genesis... Joseph, if you remember, he's sold into slavery by his brothers. He's thrown in a well, and he's picked up, and then he's, uh, he finds himself in Egypt. You remember this story. Joseph grows in stature in Egypt, and the Pharaoh in Egypt recognizes, sees the value that Joseph is bringing and the words of knowledge that he's getting from God, from Yahweh. And there's even these moments where the Pharaoh in Egypt is recognizing the God of Israel. And by the time Genesis ends... Egypt is a flourishing wonderland of greenery and sustenance. And you wouldn't believe it, right? It's Egypt. It's supposed to be, it's going to be the place of, of uh, exile and, and oppression and enslavement. But at that moment, because Pharaoh sees and recognizes Joseph and his connection to Yahweh, the blessing and the healing and the, and the, the, the life-giving waters of Eden come to even Egypt. And then Exodus begins and it says that there is a, Pharaoh, a new Pharaoh in Egypt who does not know Joseph, right? And the, and the story turns. But up until then, the life-giving and healing waters of Eden even come to Egypt. Think about when the Israelites are in Babylon and they're enslaved, right? Jeremiah 29, what do we read? This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried in from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, settle down, plant what? Gardens, eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons, give daughters in marriage. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. The Hebrew in this text is all Eden kinds of language. And so when the Israelites go to even Babylon, that this life-giving and healing water, this river that would flow out of Eden to the, to the ends of the earth, would come even there. These are echoes of Eden, the intention of healing and life-giving water that would go out to the whole creation. So that's one thing you could say about these four rivers that we find in Genesis chapter 2. I think another thing you could say, which I find very fascinating, is the following. 
that the healing and life-giving waters of Eden would flow even to the enemies of Israel in the Bible. Does anybody, did anyone notice that? The four rivers in Genesis 2 that flow from Eden, one of them arguably flows to the Temple Mount. It's the spring in Israel where Jerusalem is the, 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 the center of the world. It, it, throughout Scripture, you could even see Jerusalem as a, a, a second Eden, a new, a new sort of place of God's presence and dwelling. And then the other three places, the other three rivers flow to Egypt, Assyria, and Babylon. What has just been said? It's like the writer of Genesis knows, like, is setting up the rest of the story. And that the life-giving and healing waters of Eden would flow even to the people who become the very enemies and oppressors of the Israelite people. Egypt first, then Assyria, then Babylon. These are folks who cart them out of, of Jerusalem. They take them, they enslave them, they oppress them, they exile them. So a few questions, a few comments as we think about this metaphor, this theme that we see in Scripture. This series that we're going to be in over the next few weeks is going to look at a number of moments where we see these echoes of Eden, right? this life-giving spring of Eden being displayed and offered, the, the presence of water and rivers and wells and springs. And, and think about one of the questions I would ask is, can we see it in Scripture when it's happening? If this is a, a theme, a motif that goes through Scripture, can we see it? So when we read passages like Moses striking the rock from, and water flowing from it, what, what of Eden is in that passage? It's there. The waters of Marah, if you remember, when they come out of the Red Sea, the first thing that happens is they come to bitter waters which become sweet when they strike it with wood. This is all Eden language again. And there, right in the desert, are the people experiencing flourishing and healing and life-giving waters. Moses meeting his wife at a well. The psalmist in the still waters and green pasture. We even, it was in the song we sang. The tree planted by the water. The woman at the well, the Canaanite. Jesus even talks about this. Like, I am the, 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 the healing water. What does he say? The, the living water. And if you drink of this, you'll never thirst again. John the Baptist, baptizing in the Jordan, right? All water and, and springs and wells. Can we see it when it's happening in Scripture? So, just maybe a little like Bible study tip for you when you're reading the text and you find these kinds of things in Scripture. Look for it. It's there. Also, if the God who tamed the waters of chaos transformed them into life-giving and healing waters wants the water to flow from Eden to the ends of the earth, will we, will you, like Israel was invited to be, will we be conduits of living water? in the world that we live in? Will we be people, so when folks wander into this place, when they wander into your homes and your neighborhoods and they show up at your baseball games, what will the experience be? Will it be when they meet you, a, a refreshing, life-giving water experience? That's the invitation. That the water of Eden, the life, the, the healing, the, the wonder, the beauty that God is offer, on offer would flow through us into the world. If these rivers flow to even the enemies of Israel when they flow to Egypt and Assyria and Babylon, what does it mean for you and for me to imagine the healing and life-giving waters of God to flow even to our enemies here and now? 
So maybe just, if you would, an exercise. I'd love for you to close your eyes for just a moment. And we began this morning, and I invited you to imagine yourself by a a body of water. I want to invite you to imagine whatever you picture this garden to look like. See it in your mind's eye. Trees and animals and wonder and beauty. And imagine a river, crystal clear, flowing from that place, from that garden. And that garden, it's where the whole story begins in the Bible. It's a place where everything is in its place, where there there are no tears, there is no violence, there's enough for everything and everyone. It's shalom, it's peace. And as you see that river flowing out of that garden, is there someone in your life, a person, a relationship, maybe enemies too strong of a word, someone that you struggle with, a family member that you just cannot get along with or have, maybe it's a a friend or a relationship where there's animosity and struggle, strife, maybe even violence. What would it mean for the water of God, the healing, life-giving presence of God to flow even to them? And what would it mean for it to flow from Eden through you to them? Is there any invitation that you sense this morning? Any words that may be spoken, presence that might be offered, that could be healing, could be life-giving? Friends, this is the invitation of Scripture all throughout. That God's life-giving, healing presence, founded in a place called Eden, would go out to the ends of the earth and that you and I would participate in this story with our very lives, that this water would flow through us, that it would make channels of grace in our hearts and that it would become what is on offer when people meet you, when people meet us, when people meet the followers of Jesus, that they would have experiences marked by these kinds of words, healing, hope life-giving, nourishing, refreshing. So I would encourage you this morning as you maybe listen to the the Spirit and what it may be saying to you. uh, Is there a relationship or a person that the Spirit might be leading you even to? And then maybe a prayer you could pray is, here I am. This word hineni that gets used over and over and over in scripture. God, here I am. Use me, however you see fit, to bring hope and healing and water. It's funny, John's gospel, he uses light and water all throughout it. And I don't know if you ever noticed this, but Jesus is on the top of a mountain 
on a cross and a soldier comes up to Jesus and pierces his side. And I don't know if you remember what happens next. It says, blood and water flowed. And I always thought that was kind of bizarre. You know, and like scientists talk about, oh yeah, you know, when somebody gets crucified and if that happens, then this happens in their body and it would be that blood and water does flow. And maybe that's true. I don't know. But I wonder if it isn't John's way of saying that blood and water flowed from this mountain to heal the nations, to bring forgiveness and redemption in blood, in sacrifice, which is how they would have understood the world to work, and water. The life-giving water of God would flow from a mountain down to the world in this moment. So, the next couple weeks, that's what we're going to explore, these places in Scripture where we see that. So this morning, I want to invite you to just a moment of silence and contemplation uh, to think about some of the things we've talked about today, and then we'll um, make our way towards the table and response. So if you would, uh, a moment of silence. God, as we take just a bit of time this morning to pause and be still, I pray that you would speak and offer yourself to us afresh, anew, that it would be for us a cold cup of water, life-giving and healing, and that you might invite us, draw us, um, provoke us, exhort us towards that kind of life in the world. So do that work now, I pray. So as we make our way towards uh, the table this morning, a a few instructions. There's communion available on my right and left. There's red wine and white grape juice. So we'd invite you to make your way up the side aisles. There's sanitizer there. Uh, and grab a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup. And as you do, know that the body of Christ has been broken for you and the blood of Christ has been shed for you. Um, so Mel will lead us in song and uh, prayer space is available. Um, invite you to respond this morning as you. Well, friends, as you go, uh, just a reminder, when we gather on Sunday mornings, um, when we think about what happens in this room, Uh, There's a lot of things we don't do. There's no fog machines. There's no laser lights. There's no, like, what, what we attempt to offer on Sunday mornings is simple, um, is refreshing. And so a lot of times there's space and stillness because I, I know and I trust that the world that you come from, it's got enough stress and enough movement and enough enough chaos. So I hope that when you come, that you experience that, that it's life-giving, that it's like a cold cup of water. Um, And if I would invite you, if I would remind you of anything today, it would be, man, that's always on offer for you. So if you've not tasted that ever, or maybe not for a long time, this is the God of the Bible. This is the story that's being told. So take it in, say yes to it, drink it. And if you have, if you feel like you're in that flow and you're participating in that life, then leave from here, sent out into the world to be that for the world, to be good news, to be hope and life and and healing. Um, That's our hope. That's our prayer. So go knowing that the Spirit goes with you, empowering you to do and be that, to participate in that story.
So as you go, know that the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you to give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the church said together, amen. Amen. Grace and peace, friends. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.